adding people to your circle <laughs> and building and having more people to draw from is such a beautiful thing. But yeah. then it gets to a certain point where if there's too many people yeah. or if the people that you brought in aren't the right people. Right. And now you feel this constant of giving your energy away and this scattered feeling of yeah. not being grounded um, right. and someone or something always needing something else from you. Right. Um, so there's there's balance. There has to be balance in all of that. Welcome to Raw and Unfiltered, the place where I take real conversations from my everyday life and share them with you. Have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall for a deep, intimate conversation between two friends? That is exactly the experience this podcast gives you. Hi, I'm your host, Michael Howell. Today's episode is a bit different from the previous ones in that it is the first podcast conversation I've held with intent. What I mean by that is that Emily and I knowingly recorded this conversation. All the previous episodes were captured in the moment without both parties explicitly knowing at the time that the conversation was being recorded. I'd be interested to hear your feedback on how this episode compares to previous ones. Does it seem less authentic or genuine? Less raw and unfiltered? Today's topic is community and open relationship styles. As you listen, think about the Q&A for this episode, which is, in what ways does your community build you up? Enjoy. Okay, this is a topic that I feel like is coming up a lot. Communes. Community, uh, because of just where we're at as a society, where we've been as a society, how we've evolved to get here, and like everything's a cycle, right? So I think part of us collectively is like we're we're individualized right now. And what did you just say? I wanted to go off of something that you just said. You know, human beings, the core of how we are designed was to interact with fellow human beings and to draw the things that we need that our souls and our spirits need from those close-knit commune style communities yeah. of uh, the context of having you and all your friends living together in a neighborhood and everybody has their own life but you still come together collectively for the greater good of the community commune community communism now this is where we have the problem you can't blow this up and lose it on a larger scale it doesn't work in that context but that's because that's not how we are designed or we're designed to operate was to share that level of community with the entire world yeah no it doesn't work like that and this is what it always comes back to like just to cut through it from the times that these conversations have come up is people have this desire but then it comes down to this this discussion of what would you call that exclusivity and selection right. that has to exist. It does. Right? Because even if you go back to tribal society, yeah, like there were tribes of people and at a, at a core, at our root, we still want to protect. Just taking this back to the experience that I had a couple of weekends ago hanging out with our friends. Yes, I think about that. The conversation that I had with one of them 
you know, yeah. there's some things that she had experienced yes. that made her feel cautious of who they were allowing into this friend group. Absolutely. Because there's something really special there. Yeah. You have to protect it. And yeah. when people see something that they don't have, they automatically want it. Everybody wants is going to want it. Yeah. And so you're not going to have a, a lack of people who want to be a part of that. You yeah. have to have some level of, okay, where... Who fits in and where do they fit in? Yeah. And are they going to add value here? Right. Um, and it doesn't mean that person doesn't fit in somewhere, but it may not be this you. Yeah. The Lord Rupert. Yeah. And in established colonies today, that's a normal part of it. You don't just go, hey, I want to be a part of your phone. Okay, come on. Yeah. No, there's a whole vetting and application process. And it's usually pretty informal from the, I think there was a YouTube documentary that I watched that talked about this and it kind of took them through the process um it's the main thing is um yes there's an element of from a you know maybe a professional standpoint what skills do you have or how will you be able to contribute but the main thing that they were doing through that interviewing process with any applicants was just interacting with them and getting to know them and seeing how they interact how do they handle situations what's their dirty deal with conflict what's their personality how do they mesh yeah right because ultimately that's what's going to matter at the end and how does everyone feel about this person? Everybody has certain skill sets. You know, there 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 will be a place for your skills, whatever they are, to fit in somewhere. But if your personality or your goals don't align with the rest of the group, then then it'll it'll also fail. And not only will it fail for you, so it'll be a bad experience for you, but it'll bring the rest of the group down as well. Uh, so yeah, there's there there has to be a, a certain element of preserving and protecting um, the community that you grow what you thought about for it yeah and how you deal like how how you deal with issues or conflict as it arises with someone in the group right and like who i think i, I think i've also been so curious about how like do you create a structure or does that structure just naturally create it you have to the old that talks about it you know moses ran into this because sometimes people want there to be like, is it what do you call that? Like egalitarian where like everyone is equal. What do you remember you don't talk uh, about whenever? But I feel like people need leadership to some degree. Like you have to kind of. I think it was Moses. It was after he led the Israelites out of Egypt. So biblical. And they're in the desert and problems start to arise. And initially he was handling all of it. Everything was coming through him. And he got to the point where he's like, guys, like we're talking like, what was it? 40,000 people. He's like, I can't do this. And so they had to come in and establish those levels of structure where things would filter their way up to him. And if they couldn't be resolved at that lower level of the people who were established to handle these things, then then it would make its way up. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you see that structure in, in every established society. You know, nothing goes straight to the top. Um, you see that in corporate structures. Too. Yeah. There has to be that level of filtering um and in order for that to be successful where that always fails is when the wrong people are implemented in those filtering roles and now they're filtering with their own um agendas and mind they're biased they're not invested that they're not truly listening to the people or coming to a resolution that's going to be satisfactory for both parties or have a long-term impact you know they're band-aiding things, so it comes back up, and I see that a ton in my uh, in my job, my corporate structure. You know, of things being 
submitted or pushed up or changes requested or we need this and a temporary fix is found and then eventually comes back up again later and comes back up again later uh, and eventually the right person will hear about it who is invested who cares who wants to make the change and then the problems fix itself for good and it, it can take, out yeah, I can take time for sure. I mean, I feel like my mind goes to like just institutions of people in general, right? Like we might not have communes or a lot of communes that we're familiar with, but we have similar structures. Like you can, yeah, you can look at a workplace. You can look at a church. Yeah. Um, the churches are great. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, where there's, where there's more people, right? More people, more problems for sure. And things can... Things can take longer to sort themselves out. I don't know. I guess, I guess for me, just like the whole, like that feeling that comes up for me around that topic, when it really comes down to it, like even, even what made me feel that way, right? Like having you here and seeing like this, like your strengths and who you are and like what you bring to my life, what you bring to my environment. And it's just like that adds value. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel like I add value to your life. And then you like get that exponentially with people. And it's like, God, like if we brought all of these, if we bring this together and we like, how do we come together more and use our strengths and who we are to just enhance our life, make the world a better place. It's like a beautiful feeling of, I guess, so what it comes down is family. Like even a step, a, a layer deeper of community is I think it feels like family and I don't know for, uh, for a lot of people, but I know for myself, at least that's a, like, that's a, a desire that it's filling for me because maybe some people do have great families. I know we've talked about this before. A lot of people can look back at their family system growing up and maybe it was a really, maybe it was a really great childhood. Maybe they had a lot of things that, you know, their needs were met, but like even us talking yesterday, you know, I've tried to talk about your dad and and other things. It's like I started to make the point that sometimes it it almost seems like offshoot of like, you know, soul contracts and do we choose how our parents are. But like sometimes it seems like the people that we grow up with, that we choose to be family, it's like the hard work. Do you know what I mean? There's there's some there's like sometimes more of a level of like resistance there or dissatisfaction or conflict, I guess you could say, because a theory that I heard around that is the idea that generally speaking, your parents are not a part of your soul family. Most of the time, they're not. Your grandparents are more likely to be a like part of soul family. And the reason for that is exactly what you're saying is yeah. because it puts you in a position of learning contrast things we all have these things from our parents that we learned you know yeah these negative behaviors from we're like i don't want to do that or i don't want to replicate that breaking those cycles yeah breaking those patterns yeah um and yeah yeah that that definitely is there's intention behind all of that but i want to go back to something that you spurred in me earlier talking about you know the the ties between family and community and I come from a very large family I'm the oldest of nine of eight younger brothers and sisters and tying back to what we were saying before that of there being a break point you can't scale this infinitely and I experienced that 
in my childhood growing up of there being a noticeable point, Mm -hmm. a marked point. And it was whenever we went from four children to five. Once the fifth child was added, okay, there, there's just there's more people in the house. There's more mouths to feed. There's more bodies to bathe and dress. There's more energy being expended mm-hmm. just to maintain the normal, so just the status quo, the flow. We're we're yeah. keeping the ball moving with life here. Yeah, and so we stopped but- doing more of those filling community type activities like going out to dinner as a family or even things like going out to the park or just group activities in general are were a lot more work to get everybody out of the house at the same time and to go even just to be at this activity and the whole time you're there you're managing this experience for nine people uh the effort versus the reward like no longer a payoff yes and so that was something that i remember as a child being like i do not want to have a large family i just want to have a, a few kids that I feel like I can really invest in and try and give more of those experiences or more of that intention um, that I remember feeling when I was younger and there was less of us and so therefore more of that to go around. Um, but my point with all that is there is a break point, you know. you These things, if we wanted to start bringing people in and uh, allowing other people to experience the same things that we're feeling, um, to a certain extent that would be possible, um, but it would start to change. The experience would start to change for us. It wouldn't be the same experience for them. And ultimately, there's there's a break point where you tip the scales, the balance is on the other side, and now you're not drawing from it. It's actually pulling things away from you. Um, and I think we both experienced that in, um, the open relationship experience that we've been in where there's that level of, yes, adding people to your circle (laughs) and building and having more people to draw from is such a beautiful thing. But then it gets to a certain point where if there's too many people or if the people that you brought in aren't the right people, and now you feel this constant of giving your energy away and this scattered feeling of yeah. not being grounded um, right. and someone or something always needing something else from you. Right. Um, so there's there's balance. There has to be balance in all of that. Yeah. I Yeah, my mind definitely went there as well with like another parallel to, to community because I do think that, again, like where we're at as a collective, right, and why we're at this place, again, is we're looking to change the norm that we have created of, you know, a society that is very separate, right? It's very separate. It's very isolated. It's very individualized. And, you know, we have structures that mimic that, right? Just like the structure of monogamy and of limitation, right? Small bubbles. And so I think that that there is a reason that people are starting to say, oh, is there another way of doing life is there another way of loving and doing relationships and it's a beautiful fucking thing however in the beginning of like you know navigating a path it's it's a little fucking messy at first like trying to figure it out and yeah I just I do feel like at the core of it though I come back to that like at least in that context, still talking about like open relationships and, and polyamory, like 
it is the feeling for me, I think, that I want to create a sense of my own family. You know, I want to feel like I can truly share and do life with a group of people that I've chosen to have in my life, chosen to have in my life. And I've tried to ask myself, why is that different than just being monogamous and having a friend group? Because I do have what I would consider, like, I guess, a chosen family of my friend, right? Like, I have a core group of friends and we do life together in a really beautiful way. Now, we've been friends for 20 years, and it has morphed and changed a lot, a lot in 20 years. But I've sometimes asked myself, like, why is that still different for me than, like, maybe the the desire that I have to, you know, for open relationship lifestyle? And I think it, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think it's the same reason for you as it is for me, which is that we've both experienced both sides of that and seeing that yes there is value that you can draw from practicing monogamous relationships and having a really strong core friend groups around you but um we were just talking about this yesterday of the beautiful part of it is it is the what it it is the possibility right right potentially turning or developing into more than friends and but even if it doesn't because there is because that possibility, is that open it, it allows there to be a more free exchange of energy okay. and more potential for connection. And, and I think has the ability to lead to even deeper friendships, more and more fulfilling non-romantic relationships yeah. that maybe started or yeah. your initial interactions were possible because you were in a place of being open whereas yeah. if you had been monogamous or close we could just be closed off close if this person was in a different place then the way that they're going to act or react towards you is just going to be different yeah. um and so there's yeah. there is value on both sides of that but i think yeah for me what i've realized is that i don't want to say there are things that i get from monogamy well there are there are things that that you can get from monogamy that you can't get from polyamory and vice versa but i think there are more things that you can get by being open um and you may lose some certain aspects by not having a closed relationship but i think you're opening yourself up to the potential of way more uh you know it's it is giving up one thing for possibly two or three and not not in the literally not not necessarily <laughs> literally but just in the in the context not in, not literally as in people <laughs> i just had to like you know you know the literally. the things in your life that you find value in um and you know yes literally to a certain extent <laughs> um if if you find that being in one relationship and having one person to draw the things that you draw from a romantic relationship and then having that experience with multiple people and seeing that you can draw the same things but in different ways. Um, And the path is different for everyone. Um, And the path will change. I think for a lot of people, I don't think it's, it's one or the other. Initially, whenever I started 
learning about open relationships and practicing um, E&M style uh, lifestyle. Okay, real quick. So I just used an acronym, E-N-M, which stands for Ethical Non-Monogamy. And this is a term that's very prevalent in the open relationship community. Ethical non-monogamy is an overarching term that covers the different relationship styles, pretty much anything outside of a fully closed monogamous relationship. This could be anything from swinging to having casual play partners to full-on polyamory where you have multiple romantic partners. But just wanted to clarify that. ENM stands for ethical non-monogamy. Initially, whenever I started learning about open relationships and practicing um, E&M style uh, lifestyle, my initial thought, you know, of kind of finding this part of myself or realizing that this capacity was there that I wasn't really aware of, in some ways it felt similar to um, realizing a sexual identity. But I've realized that that's not... I don't think that parallel is is really accurate for me because I think this is more fluid than someone's sexual identity. Not that there's not fluidity there as well, but there there is generally going to be more of um, once you find that about yourself. For example, if someone comes out as being gay, it's very rare that they're going to regress from that and be like, well, no, actually, I'm That's straight, you know? I think it's much more common that you could see someone begin to practice open relationship for polyamory and have a, a phase in their life or a portion where that is a part of it. And then maybe at a later stage, it's not. And then maybe in another stage, it is again. You know, yeah. I think there's I think there's the ability for more change there yeah. um, than in that. Yeah. Than that parallel of, of using sexual identity. Yeah. And maybe that's something I have like wrestled with a little bit um to grasp or to be yeah to be like maybe patient with and like understanding with in a context of meeting other people like I guess I've had I've had some people say to me like I had someone say because because to go back okay so to, to filter like who we're going to do life with, you want to make sure that it, that people are going to fit, right? Like what you are looking for to a certain degree, whether this is a community like we started talking about or whether it's in this context of like a smaller, you know, just our interpersonal relationships. So in my mind, I think at one point it's like, I'm, I want to know, like, has someone else really done this work and know that, like, this is what they want? Like, do they, do, is, are they truly, like, polyamorous? Are they truly open? And I guess I've had this experience in my personal life over the last couple years of meeting other individuals who I did really feel like they were open, that fit them, but they seem to be, like, go back and forth a lot. And they even seem to kind of like want both in a way. And and even at sometimes say, oh, well, I could be both. And so that I think is like, that's hard for me. Like, because how, like if someone can be that fluid, 
then how do you determine if someone is like a fit to be in your life? You like go into it and then it's, oh yeah, I think this is what I want. And then, oh no, switch. <laughs> like Right. Well, there's so many different ways of practicing open relationships. And I know for me, whenever I first started exploring this and started understanding the difference and just being um, ethically non-monogamous versus being fully polyamorous, as I understood it, the difference there is being open to um, more casual experiences or sexual interactions with um, individuals that you're not necessarily in an established relationship with versus having multiple romantic partners, multiple people that you have fully integrated yeah. into your heart and into your life as people that you care about. And yeah. I think I saw this on Facebook the other day, scrolling, it said um, something to the, to the extent of saying that you want to be in a relationship with someone is saying that you care about their problems as much as you care about your own. Um, and I think that is something that we've both experienced as we've explored this is as you open yourself up energetically and emotionally to people, um, you start to take more of that on whenever they have challenges in their life that they're going through. Yeah. And then there's certain levels of expectations for you to be available um, yeah. and, and expend energy for them. And you should want to if this is someone that yeah. um, that you care about in that way and that you are you know, fully invested in. But I think a lot of people who were first exploring this probably um, were in a similar place that I was of being like, well, you know, I'm, I don't just want, I'm not here just for the casual stuff. Yeah. I want more than that. And, but not all of them realizing what is, what all is entailed with that. Um, and as they go through that process, then understanding, well, maybe, Maybe I want parts of this, but not all of it. Um, maybe I do want to have my monogamous relationship right. as the primary part of my life, but I'm still open to having experiences with other people. And that's okay. But to your point, that's yeah. something that they need to have come to a point of understanding right. for themselves before you as someone who does identify as polyamorous, who say, if I'm investing in you, if I'm interacting with you, it is for a deeper reason right. or with more serious long-term context. You're not here just to play. Um, yeah. And so if that's the case, that's fine. You know, they yeah. have someone who just wants to play and you need someone yeah. who wants yeah. to build more than that. And I guess that's really more of just what I'm learning is the work that I have to do. Like, I'm kind of the one that has to be able to assess and evaluate and realize if, like, if someone is a fit or not. And if they're not, then, you know, no matter how much I want it <laughs> to be something, you know, I let it go. And I say they're not a fit. There's someone else who is. Um, I think time is a really important factor in this as well because yeah, uh, we've both seen that how at the beginning. People are figuring out sometimes. I yeah, feel like what I they want. Figuring out. I'm still figuring out in yeah. some ways what I want and how all of this fits in place for the greater plan for my life. 
Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that if they are in a place of not having figured it out yet, yes. but they're, they're, they're starting to invest in deeper ways, right? then it has, it has ramifications. Yeah. Um, either it's either going to pull you another way if, if that direction is not the same way you're already wanting to go. Or you're going to end up hurting someone because you go a different direction and leave them yep. in the dust, yeah. you know. And so that's something that I've definitely realized I needed to take um, very seriously um, yeah. and had a few interactions early on in my experience that showed me the value and importance of having conversations when things do develop beyond just yeah. we're getting to know each other, um, those initial crushing NRE stages, and it's like, okay, is this a thing or not? Just wanted to pop in real quick and provide a definition. So I just used the term NRE, which stands for New Relationship Energy. You typically hear this term more commonly uh, in circles that are discussing open relationship style or polyamory, but this is something that exists in all relationships, and essentially what it is referring to is when you first meet someone in those initial stages of interaction, when, you, when you're when you crushing, when you're really, really interested in this person, it's just like you can't get enough attention from them or give them enough of yours. And it can be deceptive in certain situations because it has the ability to alter your perspective of who this person really is or how you actually care about them and how you feel, uh, because it's also new and exciting and fun. There's nothing wrong with it. I love it. NRE is very exciting and invigorating, but just something to keep in mind um, that it does need to be tempered with mindfulness because you just don't truly know who someone is until you've spent a substantial amount of time with them. I think the number is uh, 200 hours. You have to spend at least 200 hours with someone before you can truly consider them a good friend. Anything less than that is generally going to be accepted as just an acquaintance-type relationship. So I just wanted to provide that. If you're unfamiliar with what NRE means, that's the definition. Now back to the conversation. Um, yeah. And I had a few interactions early on my experience that showed me the value and importance of having conversations when things do develop beyond just yeah. we're getting to know each other or, um those initial crushing yeah. nre stages and it's like okay is this a thing or not yeah don't wait to have that conversation it does not do any good and a lot of times it's going to cause way more problems in the long run yeah. Um, it's going to be a little awkward and a little uncomfortable, and that's okay because it's still less awkward and less uncomfortable than the alternative. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that is in the, in the same way we were talking earlier about having that vetting or application yeah. process in the context of community. Yeah. This applies here as well where, you know, it doesn't have to be established. Um, I did have someone that I uh, interacted with online. And, um, she was looking for someone to fill a particular 
role in her life and said she had a kind of a vetting and application process for it. Um, <laughs> she made me curious to, to know more about what that was. But, um, you know, whether it's spoken or not, I think that that definitely needs to be something that's cognized internally of having certain yeah. things that you've identified for yourself of saying, okay, these are the qualities. Yeah, this is what have. I am looking for, right. first of all. Get right. clear. Right. I know that's a big thing that I've been learning is like, I have to get really, really clear on what do I want? Because like that's sometimes the biggest work when we're unclear. Like, again, our pointer is going right mm-hmm. kind of all over the place and we can't attract what we want if our pointer is not clear right. on what we want. And so I think that's all of our work individually is like, OK, I have to get really, really clear on what I want. What am I OK with and what am I not OK with? And I have seen even in myself, there have been probably times. Or maybe I am a little unclear. And so that I'm going to attract it. It makes sense that I would attract people that are unclear, right? And it's like, why are they so unclear? And then you they get all these like, different energies. They want, this, like, they want this. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> why do I have, why do I, why do I not know what I want? And I have it. You feel like you have options. Yeah. Too many options. And you can't choose. Yeah, it's because you haven't identified what it is that you Gosh. want. And so you do kind of want this. And you do kind of want this. And you do kind yeah. of want this. So you end up attracting all of that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's so easy to, like, put it on the other person, though. <laughs> it's right. so easy to talk about. Why is this other person like this? Why does this keep happening? Yeah, because it has been really interesting to, like, go through that of of attracting people that seem to want that lifestyle and have explored it some and start exploring it and then ultimately kind of i guess i don't want to say go back but ultimately end up kind of making the switch of like oh no there's this monogamous relationship that i want but to my point that i continue to make i do feel like a lot of people crave still that that one-on-one primary style partner but it, it also i think depends on where they're coming from Because what I have seen is, like, for someone that's maybe felt like they've been in a relationship for a really long time and they haven't had, you know, their space to explore and they're just coming out of that, they might want to explore more. They might be wanting to, like, you know, like, I just need to to have fun, have casual and explore something. Whereas if someone's been alone for a while, right, doing a lot of personal work or inner work, and, you know, having a lot of alone time, they might be craving more of like a deep emotional primary connection. So I think that does make a big difference, too, on where people are at in their life to what they're needing and looking for in their life at that time. And it can fucking change, too. <laughs> exactly. And if you don't know what it is right now, that's OK, too. I think that's yeah. another thing yeah. that a lot of people don't fully have a grip on yet is if you if you're in this place of uncertainty or still figuring things out for yourself that's okay but you you have to talk about it you have to say that and make sure the other person is on is at least of the understanding that you don't know what you want right now and maybe you do want something deeper and maybe you do just want something casual and yeah and, you know, you can't force that decision. It will be made whenever it's made known to you. Yeah. Um, 
forcing it always ends up causing the wrong outcome or an outcome that's not aligned from a timing standpoint. We've talked about this before. For example, if you begin interacting with someone and you're feeling a draw to something greater, but you force that and you jump in now, like we would be a great example of that. If we had pushed things farther and faster a year ago, right after we started interacting, there's a really good chance we wouldn't be in the place that we are now. Um, and so having the patience to wait for divine timing is really, really important. Um, we want it right now. We want it all now. But that delayed gratification, man, it's so sweet. So basically, like, let the slow burn happen in life sometime. The feeling a little spark, you know, you want to just fan the flames, throw the the fuel on, and fucking just burn that baby up. I talk about fires, just hang on. <laughs> you are talking to the right person about this. <laughs> you will not, you will not build a long, self-sustaining, hot, well-burning fire by throwing a couple logs on there, pouring some gasoline on, which is what most people do, and lighting it up. And man, it's hot and it burns fast and woo! It is exciting. And then about five to ten minutes later, the fire's out. And it's gone. And it's just smoking. And now they're smoking everybody's eyes. And it's like, <laughs> fuck, this was a bad idea. Whose idea was this? You gotta start over, take everything apart, go back down to the bottom and do it the right way, which is you take really small pieces you you have your fire starter you have your your ember that's burning that's that has the ability to sustain itself for a long period of time a good fire starter you take a cotton ball and you dip it in melted paraffin wax and then when you light that on fire it's like a candle and it will literally sit there and burn on its own for about 10 minutes and while it's sitting there burning it'll burn longer on its own than the logs with gasoline on it and while it's sitting there burning, you slowly start adding your tender, your small pieces, the little sticks, and they burn down, and there's some coal. The little bit bigger. All those little things. You add a little bit bigger sticks to it, and those burn down, and now you have more coals, and it's a little bit bigger and a little bit hotter. And now you add your logs on top, and then that fire, it's on its own. You can sit back and watch, and it slowly builds and grows and sustains itself until... There's been days later that I've come back, and there's still, you stick your hand out in there, you'll burn yourself. There's still hot coals down there, deep buried under those ashes. Why? Because you did it the right way. You put the right ingredients in at the right time, and you waited before you put the next ingredients in. Because if you take that fire starter, and you just put all your little sticks and your bigger sticks and your wood on all at the same time, it smolters and it goes out. That timing is so important. And it's just more work to keep so fanning and to keep creating it. Yeah, then you're sitting there, you're like, I don't understand what, why won't it? If you take the time. Exactly. You build it up. You let it grow. Let that slow burn come through. Then it kind of just keeps, keeps burning without having to add as much consistently. <laughs> the first few fires will probably not be grand those first few will probably go out 
And then you'll figure it out. And you try it again differently the next time. And that works a little better. And you try it again the next time. And then you know what's crazy? Is once you've done it the right way. And you've built this fire from the bottom up. With all the right ingredients at the right time. Not only will it sit there and sustain itself throughout mm. the night. It can take a lot. I've built fires that we got downpoured on that night. Dritched. I have a video of this on one of my YouTube channels. And the next day when we got up, there were still coals in that fire. All we had to do was stir it around, put some more sticks in there, and it lit right back up. The storms couldn't even take it out. The other thing that you can do is take soaking wet wood, wood that before you had see there was like i cannot burn this there's no way my fire can handle this it's gonna put this thing out and it would have but now you can put those soaking wet logs on there and man it's like it doesn't even phase it sometimes just eats right through it keeps actually makes it burn even better because the other the little stuff the dry wood that burns real easy when you have a really hot fire really passionate deep fire that stuff just it goes right through it. And you got to keep putting it on. You got to keep putting it on. You got to keep putting it on. You take a piece that is denser. It's heavier. It's wetter. A smaller fire can't handle it. And you put it on your larger fire. And it is going to not only handle it, but sustain it and make it last even longer. You put those wet logs on and it'll burn for a couple of days versus putting those dry logs on, having to come back, put more logs on every 30 minutes. I like that. And we're back. I hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I did. Personally, I really liked that conversation. It held a lot of depth for me and helped me have a different perspective on some of these topics, even while we were recording. If you felt impacted by today's conversation, please consider following. Leaving a rating and hitting the bell icon to turn on notifications makes more of an impact than you might realize. If you feel called, and only if you feel called to. Just pick one friend to send this episode to. If you'd like to interact with me, check the very bottom of the show notes on this episode for the link to send me a voice note. Who knows, you might even get featured on a future episode. Quick disclaimer, all audio on my podcast has been edited using the free Enhanced Audio feature from Adobe Podcast. This takes a normal-sounding recording and makes it professional, podcast-worthy, high-quality audio. However, this also may have caused certain parts of the conversation to sound a bit odd or garbled. I also want to emphasize that consent is always received from all participants to use the audio from any conversation published by Ron and Filtered. Thanks so much for being here and listening in. I really hope this held value for you. Keep seeking, keep questioning, and embrace the power of raw and unfiltered conversations.